Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. So we've been in our series called Roadmap. You guys been enjoying the series? Has it been good? Has there been any recalculating happening for anybody yet, right? I say recalculating. My, my wife said it's rerouting. What is it? Is it? It's recalculating, right? That's what I thought. So rerouting? I don't know. Anyway, just want to know if there's been any of that um, for anybody this week. So our main passage of Scripture for this series is found in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, and it's this. You can only enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. And Pastor Mark gave this profound statement, this life-changing statement in week one. And he said this, you guys remember this? If you go the wrong direction, you'll end up in the wrong place. Boom. Sermon done. I don't even need to preach. That's the most profound statement I've ever heard. But you know what? He's definitely not wrong. Because our direction will determine our destination. The roads or paths that we choose to go down will determine exactly where we end up. And we all cast these visions at the beginning of 2020 for ourselves and for our church to be all in, right? And I'm curious to know how those are going. Like, has there been a drastic change in the direction for you? Are you going down a different path to reach your new vision? Or was it just some hopeful words, a hopeful wish that you wrote down? and pinned to the wall out there. Because if my destination is Hawaii, and I don't ever do anything different, if I don't make changes, and I don't start saving money, if I don't start planning and making preparations and making arrangements, and if I don't change my direction, then I'm never going to reach that destination, right? And Hawaii is always going to be just this pretty little postcard that I have pinned to my refrigerator. If I want to make it to the destination, then I have to go down the path or the direction that leads me there, right? Y'all agree? And some of us possess this amazing sense of direction. Like we always know where we are. We always know which direction we're headed, and we always know which way to go. Like you drop me off in the middle of the woods, I'm going to get some sticks and some branches. I'm going to get down on my knees, and I'm going to smell them, and I'm going to set up three rocks, And I'm going to angle with the sun, and I'm going to be like, yep, it's 233. I better head east. Some of us have an amazing sense of direction, but then there's those of us that aren't, that don't have that, right? And they are who we call the directionally challenged. Come on, you all know who they are. You're married to them, right? Now, I'm really good in the woods. I can get lost. I'm I'm really good at being directional, intentionally directional, if you would say. But you take me to the mall? Oh, I am directionally challenged inside that mall. Now, we joke around about it. We make fun of the directionally challenged. And my mother-in-law is the absolute world's worst, y'all. Seriously. She has drove to Springfield three times a week for the last 17 years that I've known her. And yet to this day, to this day, she will still call and ask for directions. And most of the time, it's how to get from Springfield to our house. Praise Jesus for Siri and for Google, right? 
Because some of y'all couldn't even make it to the kitchen if it wasn't for Google. Just saying. But here's a few things about directionally challenged people that we probably need to know. They don't set out to get lost on purpose. They don't set out to get lost on purpose. Most of us don't intentionally make wrong turns or intentionally go the wrong way. The directionally challenged usually don't realize they're lost. They don't even know they're lost until they're really, really lost. So if they don't know where they are and they don't know which direction they're heading, then they're probably not going to recall just how long they've actually been lost for, right? Or how long they've been going the wrong way. Y'all tracking with me this morning? Is this making sense? The path or road that they choose to go down will determine exactly where they end up. And it doesn't matter if their intentions are good because the path they choose to go down will ultimately be their destination. And I believe that we all have these tendencies to choose these paths in life, these roads that don't lead us in the direction that we truly, really want to go, right? We kind of have that draw, that tendency to do that. Do you all agree? And more often than not, our intentions and our desires or our feelings and emotions, those are the driving factors that determine which road we're going to take. We let our feelings and our emotions be the dividing factor, the determining factor on which road that we're going to take. So for the spiritually directionally challenged, they believe that as long as their intentions are good, as long as they do the right thing, as long as they, their heart is in the right place, as long as they do their best and they try their hardest, then it really doesn't matter which road they take because they still believe that even though they did all that stuff, somehow they're going to end up in the right place. But how many times have we heard, well, at least their intentions were good when things didn't go the way they had planned your direction will determine your destination, not your intentions. Because sometimes our intentions and our desires will lead us down a path that we never intended to go down. And we see a great example of this written by King Solomon. There's a disconnect between intentions and desire or where we think we're going. Then there's a realization of, of we actually find out that we're really not going down the path that we thought we were going down. So if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you, Lord, that we are here by divine appointment, that it's not by accident, Father, that you just continue to, to work on our lives, God, that you continue to be the roadmap that we seek after, that you just speak to our hearts this morning, that you open our minds and our souls to receive everything that you'd have for us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So Proverbs 7, starting in verse 1, Solomon says, my son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. You see, Solomon was the wisest person ever. And he's given his son and us 
a warning. He's saying, son, trust me. Do what I say. Do what I say and you will live. This teaching is precious, so guard it with your heart. Write it on your notebooks. Write it on your hands. Memorize it and always remember what I've told you because these words are for your benefit and for your protection. Solomon goes on in the scripture to tell his son of an encounter that he witnessed of a young man who was simple. One version says that he lacked judgment. So here's this boy, this young man, he's green, right? He's wet behind the ears still. He's young and he's inexperienced. He has no roadmap and he has no sense of direction. The young man finds himself walking down a road that he shouldn't be heading down and he's headed straight for a certain woman's house. You don't have to be a Bible scholar sitting in here this morning to probably start realizing where this story's headed, right? He's directionally challenged. He's a dead man walking. So darkness is setting in, and we know that nothing good can come from roaming the streets after dark. Let's pick back up in verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with a crafty intent. Didn't Genesis tell us that the serpent is the craftiest of all creatures? She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. See, sin is not only waiting, sin is not only waiting, but it's waiting for us everywhere. It's not just in the obvious places that we know we're not supposed to go, but it's everywhere. It's in the streets, it's at the mall, it's on the computer, it's on the television, it's on your phone. It's at work, and it's in our everyday encounters of this life, and it's always ready to meet us. Back to our story. Verse 13, she took a hold of him, and she kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, today I have fulfilled my vows, and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. She comes along, and she kisses him, and right here, Right here is the defining moment when this young man should have saw the big sign that said, danger ahead, turn around. But his intentions and his desire keep him going down the path in her direction. And now we can see from verse 14 that this woman was a believer. She was a believer. Listen, be aware of the appearance of godliness. Her intentions may have been good, or so thought, but they didn't align with her direction. Because with no shame on her face, that's the brazen look, with no shame on her face, with no remorse, she's ultimately saying, I've been to church, my vows are fulfilled, I've made my sacrifices, I've paid my offerings, and now I've been made right with God. She's been forgiven of her past wrongs, her slate has been wiped clean, and she's ready to get back in the game. Maybe a little excessive, I don't know, maybe not, but I can honestly say probably most of us in here have done the exact same thing, and you all know exactly what I mean, right? You ever heard of premeditated prayers? Like, y'all heard of PayPal, right? Like, you prepay? Like, come on, man, y'all have, have pre-prayed, right? I'm not the only one who's pre-prayed. Like, I'm going to pre-pray for the things that I'm fixing to go do this weekend. Lord, please forgive me. You made her, you know how good she looks. Um, come on, I'm not the only one. 
pre-pray. Yeah, y'all just act righteous. Check out verse 15. So I came to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. Notice something. She came out to meet him. He was walking down the road, but she came out to meet him. She was looking for him. And we don't have to go very far to find sin, y'all. It's always looking to find us. And you know what thing about sin? It doesn't play fair, does it? It knows our faults. It knows our weaknesses. It knows our desires. And its desire, sin's main desire, is to steal what's been given to you, to kill and destroy you. And in the next few verses, she lures this young man in. She turns up the temptation and she makes it completely irresistible. She tells him how she's prepared the bed and she's excited for their night together. Now listen to what she says in verse 19. She says, my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. Another warning sign for this young man. She's married. She says, my husband is not home. That should have been the other defining moment in his life where he stopped and said, oh, man, I'm going the wrong way. She says, he has taken his purse filled with money and will not be home until full moon. And with persuasive words, she led him astray and she seduced him with her smooth talk. The opportunity was perfect. They could get away with it and nobody would ever find out. You see, sin is a lot easier and a lot more desirable when you're not worried about getting caught. It's pretty quiet in here because that's what sin does. It makes itself look desirable. It overwhelms our senses. It intoxicates us, and it clouds our judgment all the while persuading you with exactly what you want to hear. Until you change your direction and you find yourself just like this young, senseless, directionally challenged man walking on a path to an unknown destination. You see, sin doesn't want just a brief encounter with us. It wants to come out and meet us. It wants to come in and stay the night, and it wants to be intimate with us. And before he realizes it, he's in her grasp, and he's in the bed of the seductress. So where, how, and who are you being seduced by, church? What's coming out to meet you, and what are you allowing to lead you down a path you probably shouldn't be walking down in the first place? Listen to verse 22. It says, all at once he followed her. Now, I want you to catch this. Earlier in the scripture, she had came out to meet him, right? She came out to find him. And now we see it says immediately, immediately, now he's following her. She is the one leading him down her path. And now we have this disconnect between intention and direction. And the direction that he is headed is not the destination that he had intended. Now he's lost. He's a dead man walking. So where's she leading him? Not where he was expecting. Scripture tells us she was leading him like an ox to be slaughtered. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces its liver. Like a bird darting into a snare little knowing 
it would cost him his whole life. You see, you lead an ox to slaughter by coaxing it with grain. A deer in a noose and a bird in a snare are only there because they were baited in and then caught in a trap. You deer turkey hunters in here know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I got a few giggles, but come on, you all don't act like you're not innocent. Sprinking those little gold nuggets out and enticing. So for all, listen, this is probably inappropriate and probably shouldn't even tell the story in church, but Mark does it all the time, so whatever. But so, okay, if you live in the state of Missouri, it is illegal to bait wild game in it and try to harvest it, right? I don't, for those of you that don't know that, I don't know. But so it's illegal. You, now, you can feed corn before season. You just can't do it during season. So the conservation has helicopters that fly out and they watch because everybody does it. Everybody's doing it. It's okay, right? We justify what we want to justify. Come on. I would never do that in season. <clears throat> so, and I'm going to tell you something. If you got little kids, don't call it corn because they will go to school and they will be like, hey, man, we fed some corn last night and I shot this big deer over it. Not that I would do that in season. I wouldn't. But so we call it at our house, we call it Skittles. Like the yellow Skittles that nobody eats, right? So they're Skittles. So anyway, I tell Hayden, I'm like, hey, bub, like, go, go put out some Skittles. So he goes and he, he does. We call, it, we call it doing the chores, doing the chores. So, <laughs> man, I'm telling myself in a bad way. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, he goes and does this. We have this elevated ground blind, right? And it sits up off the ground, and we have this big, huge green wheat field. Well, the conservation will literally fly over, and they will spot from the helicopter. You can see corn a long way away, I'm telling y'all. So they fly over, and they check for corn, and they go out, and then they write you a ticket. If you're doing it in season, don't do it in season. I'm, being, I'm your pastor. I'm here to tell you, stop it. Just because everybody else is doing it, don't do it. So Hayden goes and does the chores, right? So then I, he sent me a picture of Manny. I don't even remember who it was. And I get this picture, and he literally spells huff, H-U-F-F, in five-foot, it's five-foot letters, five-foot huff in this big, huge green field. And I'm like, Bob, no, you can't do that. Oh, man. So I'm down there, you know, we're, we're down there like trying it with a rake and scattering it all out. Dad, just listen, y'all, don't sin. Just, just follow the law, okay? Come on, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. But, but we do that to lure in the game so that we can harvest it. Just like this young man was lured in, caught in a trap, and now he's being led to death. Every path has a predetermined destination. Every path has a predetermined destination. He literally is a dead man walking, and he doesn't even realize it. He never even realizes it. Because the true motive of sin is always death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, right? There's always something on your path that will keep you occupied, distracted, or offer something to satisfy to keep you there as long as it can, all the while leading you to a destination that you never intended to go in the first place. So this morning, I want to cover four points concerning a dead man walking. And I have my own profound statement, like Pastor Mark did in week one. So y'all ready for this? This is wisdom. This is, this is, this is the most revolutionary thing you're ever going to hear. You ready for point one? The road you are on 
determines where you'll end up. That's good. Come on, y'all young clap and amen on that. That's good. The road you are on determines where you'll end up. You're all sitting in your seats going, dude, that's blatantly obvious. It's not breaking news to me. But you know what? Some of you need the blatantly obvious right now. Some of you need to hear blatantly obvious stuff because the road that you're walking down right now is not fruitful. It's not where God intended you to go. And it's not God-honoring. And for some of you all, that road right now is leading to death, and you don't even know it. You're an ox being led to slaughter. Every choice we make in this life is a step down a path. Every decision we make puts us further and further in the direction that we're going. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Every path has a predetermined destination, and every path has an outcome. Be it good or bad, every path has an outcome, or every path has a consequence, because there are good and bad consequences. There's outcomes to the paths that we choose. Point number two, we are quick to ask for forgiveness, but slow to repent. And just like the temptress in the story, we really aren't that different. She was a believer. She literally went to church on Sunday. She had made her peace with God. She would asked for forgiveness. She did her three Hail Marys or whatever she had to do. And then she left unchanged. She walked out the doors of the church unchanged. But she was forgiven. And we might not be soliciting ourselves like she was. I hope not. There might be some in here. I don't know. But I'm sure many of us have gone out on Saturday night, had a few too many, shacked up with somebody. just to wake up Sunday morning to come in here and punch the forgiveness ticket so that we could go back out and do it again Saturday night. Come on, y'all, I'm bringing truth today. We're no different than this woman. We look at it because, that because she committed adultery. Ooh. Our sin is no different in the eyes of God. It's no different in the eyes of God. So when it comes to asking for forgiveness, we are really really good about that. We had that point down. And here's the catch. We get to enjoy the thrill that comes from sin. And then we get the relief of forgiveness. Because we know all we got to do is ask for it, right? That's what we've been taught. All you got to do is ask for it and it will be given to you. And we leave the doors of this church with our hearts unchanged and closed to the fact that what we are doing is actually breaking the heart of God. It was never the path that he intended for your life to walk down. That's never where he wanted you to go. We're quick to ask, but we're slow to turn away. You see, repentance is this. It's us recognizing our sin, acknowledging our mistakes, 
and turning in a different direction, turning away, taking a different path so that we don't keep making those same mistakes over and over and over again to where we got to come in here every single Sunday and keep asking God for, for the forgiveness for the same thing that we keep doing over and over again. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. This is Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church of Corinth. And he says, now I'm glad I sent it. So he sends them this letter, and they're kind of upset about it because the church wasn't doing what the church should have been doing. And Paul says, I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurts you. Listen, God doesn't want to hurt you. God's intention is not to shame you, to hurt you. God loves you. Paul loved the church. He said, but because of the pain it caused you to repent and change your ways. Paul said, I had to tell you the truth. I had to send that letter. I didn't want to shame you. I didn't want to hurt you. But look what it did. It opened your eyes to what you were doing. It opened your eyes to realize you were walking down a path that you weren't supposed to be walking down. And you changed your ways. That's why I sent the letter. Because I love you. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants for his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Amen? There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Our recognition of sin should bring us to forgiveness. It absolutely should. But then True repentance should draw us into God and not away from Him. Point number three, we all have a tendency of choosing paths that do not lead in the direction we want to go. We all have a tendency to choose a path that does not lead in the direction we want to go. Why is that? Why do you all think we keep walking down the same paths when we really don't want to keep walking down those paths? Because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Because we're stubborn, we won't ask for directions, men. So we just keep doing the same thing over and over because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to expose ourselves. We don't want anybody to know what we're doing in secret. Because we won't, won't learn how to read the roadmap. Why do we keep doing the things that we don't want to do? Paul says in Romans 7, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I keep doing. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to keep doing the same things over and over and over again. But then we say things like this. I want to be the spiritual leader that God called me to be for my family and for my wife. That's a bold statement. That's awesome. But you know what we do? We put every, then, then we put everything else a priority over him. We can make the statement, we have good intentions. We don't follow it up. You could be like me and my crew, who every single day we say, man, we got to quit this. Man, we got to get back in the gym. Why each one of us are literally devouring a whole large pizza, our own large pizza. Man, we got good intentions, baby. Man, I got to get in the gym. Our intentions may be good and our desires may be just, but if our direction doesn't change, 
then we're never going to arrive at our destination. We do it because it looks good. We do it because it feels good. Maybe it satisfies us for temporarily, or maybe it temporarily satisfies us. We give into its desires, or maybe, maybe we keep going down the path that we don't want to go down because we've been walking down that road so long that we know it really, really well, and it's comfortable. I know I ain't going to get lost. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly where this road's leading. Yep. And we're afraid of taking a different turn. We're afraid of going a different direction because of the unknown. Because we're not familiar where that path leads and it scares us a little bit. So we keep choosing to go down the same path over and over. Man, I don't want to keep going to her house. But dang, that's all I know. It's a battle of the mind and it requires a change of heart. It requires repentance. It requires a change of direction. Your direction always determines your destination. That wisdom, that insight, that profound statement, you always end up on the path you are on takes you. Wherever that road's leading, if you're on that path, that's where you're going to go. And in this world of behaviors, habits, and lifestyles, we lose sight of this. We lose sight of all these things because we let all these other factors, these behaviors, these habits, doing the same stuff over and over again, choosing the same road, the same sins, the same struggles, whatever. We lose sight of all this stuff, and then we wake up one day, and we're far, far from where we ever intended to be. And just like that young man, we wind up lost. And the only way to beat it is not to go in the direction that it leads. Easier said than done. Kim, I'd have you come up if you don't care. Play the keys. I'm getting ready to get to my final point. The only way to beat it is not to go in the direction that is taking you. But Brian, it's all I know. I just keep going down the same path. I can't break the cycle. I can't break the chain. I'm comfortable. It feels good. I got good intentions. I really want to be a good guy, but man, I just kind of. My fourth point is this. Choosing the wrong path in life will cost you. Choosing the wrong path in life will cost you. In our story from Proverbs 7, Solomon gives his son a warning in the first five verses. Then he tells a story of a young man who walked the wrong path and he told us of the consequences of that path. Let's finish up Proverbs 7 and see what, why Solomon tells us. Verse 24, now then my sons, now he says sons. In the beginning he said my son, like he's talking to his son. In verse 24 he says, now then my sons. He's talking to all of us. He's given all of us a warning. Listen to what I have to say. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims that she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. He says many are her victims. Just like the broad road that leads to destruction in Matthew 7, 
and the many who will walk in it. Solomon begins with a warning, and now he's ending with a warning. My son, my sons, listen to me. I've been down this road. I know where it leads. You might think this is a unique opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it's going to satisfy your desire. You might think that your intentions are good, but I'm here to tell you, son, it's not. So many have traveled this path that now it's a well-worn highway. And listen to me, son, I know where it leads. I've been there. He told his sons this because he loved them and he cared for them. And he didn't want to watch them choose a direction that would ultimately cost them their life. That's why he warned them. And that's my heart this morning, church, to stand up here and tell you to stop choosing the wrong path. Because it can cost you. You don't have to be a dead man walking. What path, what what road are you taking? And where are you letting your desires persuade you into going? James 1.15 says, "Then Then after has conceived, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. You see, it starts with desire. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Is there an alignment between your intentions and your direction? Because you wouldn't intentionally turn down a road with a sign that's pointed death this way. Choosing the wrong path can cost you. And I know it can because I've experienced it myself. And so many of us in here know about cost, right? So many of us sitting in this seat, in these seats, know about cost. Money, jail time, broken marriages, lost family members, jobs, time. Our paths have all cost us something. And you know what? Some of us in here are still paying for the consequences the paths that we chose. Wrong roads and sin always have a price and always have consequences. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So choosing the wrong path will cost you. Choosing the wrong path will cost others. Choosing the wrong path can cost you eternity. But here's the hope, church. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. See, us deciding to take the wrong path is ultimately what cost Christ his life. Us choosing the wrong path because we couldn't follow God's commands, we couldn't walk the road that God wanted us to do, ultimately cost Christ his life. But you know what it was for? It was for our benefit. It was for our benefit. He gave his life on the cross. He was crucified. He was buried in the grave. He rose up out of the grave. He defeated death so that we didn't have to keep walking down the same path that we continue to walk down every day of our life. He overcame the grave and he made a way for us. He's made a way. He's the road map. He said, you don't have to keep doing that, son. I did it because I love you. 
because I want you to come and follow me. I'll lead you. I'll take you to where you want to go. And you know what? I know exactly where the destination leads on the road that I'm going to take you on. He says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you've been walking. I don't care that you're directionally challenged. I don't care that you can't read a map. You're never too lost for me to find you. You're never too far gone. He says, all you got to do is turn around. All you got to do is come and follow me. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.